God uses the difficult things to make us more like Him. And we have seen that it has allowed us to become more giving, have a heart for the needy, and a heart to help. Today's guest on First Person is author and speaker Sue Detweiler. Welcome to our program. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Glad to have you with us this week. I'll introduce Sue to you in just a few moments. First Person is a ministry dedicated to simply telling people stories, stories of spiritual transformation and desire to serve Christ. Each week you'll meet someone new, people from all walks of life, who challenge us to give our lives to Christ and follow Him. We have a companion website which can tell you more about the people you meet on First Person. It's firstpersoninterview.com. There you can read about our guests, follow links for more information, and listen to any past program. Also, look for the schedule of upcoming interviews. It's all at firstpersoninterview.com. And be sure to check out our list of recent interviews which you may have missed on the radio. Well, our guest today, Sue Detweiler, lives near Nashville, Tennessee, and has a ministry that encourages women to live godly lives. As we'll hear, it's a ministry born out of adversity. On a recent trip to Nashville, we sat down in Sue's home to talk about it. My husband and I came to Nashville as church planters, and when we were planting a church, I came home one night and put my daughter, who was five weeks old, in her crib, fell asleep, and the next thing I woke up, I was hearing her screams. And as she was screaming, and every mom knows her child's scream, it was a different type of scream. There was terror. And I was disoriented. I couldn't breathe. I was trying to make my way to her room and I got caught in a closet. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And so I made my way out. I I felt the window pane, put the window up and realized that my house was on fire. Oh no. And it was it was terrifying. I I can't describe it. I tried to scream for help, but when you breathe in smoke your vocal cords don't sound. And I was on a second floor window, so I couldn't get out. And so I basically dropped down to my knees, not because I was level-headed and knew I should get low. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was more that I was close to passing out and I couldn't get my daughter. Oh, Was your husband home? No, my husband, we had gotten home from vacation and we were pastors. So he headed to the church to make sure everything was set up for the next day. And imagine what it was like for him. He got home. People were lined on the streets. You could see the fire from the sky. And the house next to us was under construction. And that had already burned completely to the ground. And so he ran and he grabbed the fireman and he said, did you get my wife and baby out? And the fireman, you know, just panicked, dropped the hose and ran to the house. We found out later that the fire trucks had been delayed by a train. So it was only one fire truck Mm -hmm. at at work at that point. And so they got into the house and my, my husband got the baby out. But what happened for me, I mean, it's clear memory of this smoke-filled room, and I heard a voice, and the fireman said, come towards the light. 
And it was probably this great big flashlight, but it looked like a tiny pin light. I don't remember the fireman's face. I just went towards the light. He, you know, he got me out and then they rushed us to the hospital. I want to understand the fireman did not know that you and your daughter were in the house? No, because we had gotten home from vacation, the neighbors had said, they're gone. And then the other thing that happened, our alarm system didn't go off. Um, the way that the baby woke up is the neighbors had been able to throw rocks at that window. You know, it was a lower window. Hmm. And so that woke my baby up. Otherwise, most of the time in terms of smoke inhalation, you don't wake up. You just stay sleeping. Um, And so it was pretty miraculous. Minutes later, because of the smoke, not because of the fire, but because of the smoke, um, we could have died. It was a life-changing time for us. How so? Well, we were pastors. So when you go through a life situation like this, who do you go to for help? And then when we got home from the hospital, my daughter developed colic. And so she would scream every night, three hours uncontrollably, and we weren't in our house. It was being rebuilt. So we're in this rented facility, and our marriage was at the point where we were just hanging by our fingernails, and we needed help. How'd you find it? Where did you turn? Well, there are a number of things we did. One was, I I remember a moment of desperation when my daughter was just screaming uncontrollably. And I, I felt that fear of would I hurt her, you know, because I was just so overwhelmed. I remember laying her down and calling a neighbor and saying, can you help me? I'm desperate. And I think that's where my heart for moms first began. But then we found help through somebody from our denomination, and we found help um, through prayers of forgiveness, of forgiving the arsonist, you know, the person that Oh, it was a fire that was set. It was set in the vacant home. Now, again, this is not proven factually. Okay. I had the them come and show me a couple pictures of who this person could be mm-hmm. but the case was dropped it was never charged that way so you never had any sense of finality about it no there was never a finality um but after the fire um one night we were in the apartment it was around three o'clock in the morning and i got this call and someone on the line just began to laugh hysterically. It was, you know, one of those blood-curdling type of calls. And I remember hanging the phone up and just being like, what is going on? Prior to the fire, about two months before, we had been robbed. And someone had watched the house, and they'd gone into the house. And so we had a sense that we were being targeted Mm -hmm. at that point. So it was frightening. Mm. Well, uh, I know there's a lot more to the story, and I want to talk, though, about um, you chose, uh, through God's help, to uh, forgive and to move on, but it really, it, it had to change you. How did it change you, and how did it steer you in life so that you do what you do now, Sue? It was extremely life changing, because when we went through this process of forgiving, 
it was also going back and doing layers and layers of forgiving in our lives. And what happened is our whole spiritual life and relationship to God became so vibrant and real, and our marriage became so um, so lovingly close that really I wanted everyone to hear the good news of the gospel. Let me stop you there because it doesn't always happen that way for I know people, it does doesn't. It? it often goes the other direction. It does. What made the difference? I think the difference was we were desperate for God's help. We were desperate to know his peace in a very trying situation. And so you and your husband pulled together, and God planted a seed. Um, out of the ashes come beauty, right? Yes. So what, what was the beauty that came out? The beauty that came out, well, first was our marriage. Our marriage was stronger than ever, and we had a heart to help couples that were going through difficulties. Because when you go through a circumstance that's difficult, your marriage is impacted. Your family is impacted. It also impacted our ministry to others and really ministering to others in in a deep way of helping them to learn the power of forgiveness, to help them to be free from things that had bound them. So your whole life was, in a sense, supercharged by this experience that you nobody wants to go through yeah. what you went through, and yet God still used it. We began to refer, Wayne, to before the fire and after the fire. Mm -hmm. You know how in Scripture it says before this and after that? Our lives were so changed. I remember one time going into a restaurant and seeing someone that we had pastored before, years before the fire. So we'd already pastored them. And we sat down as a couple, and they looked at us and looked at each other, and they were like, what happened to you? They saw a difference? They saw a difference in the way we related to each other as a couple and a way we related to them. And that attracted them. That attracted it? them. Yeah. That's very powerful. How often in life does that happen? Well, anytime we open our hearts to God, hmm. that miracle can happen today. In a few minutes, I want to talk to you about uh, how God has led and what your ministry is today. But looking back on that traumatic experience, sum that up for me. It, it had to be just devastating at the time. But again, God has brought such beauty from it. Well, I can sum it up by what happened in the hospital. When we got to the hospital, I called my mother and I let her know what had happened. And she said, oh, you're the ones that I've been praying for. She had taken the month before and God had laid on her heart to fast and pray and meditate on Isaiah 43. Some of it is, you shall go through the fire and you shall not be burned. The flame will not consume you. And I think the power of prayer and the transformation of prayer, um, that was life-changing and to realize that God had saved us from the fire. Adoption is also part of Sue Detweiler's story, and we'll talk about that and more coming up on First Person. If you missed last week's interview, we talked with Dan Cura of the Far East Broadcasting Company in the Philippines. Dan told us of how radio was used of God to aid in the relief efforts following last year's devastating typhoon in Tacloban. When no other radio station was available for critical information, God provided through FEBC. 
If you'd like to learn more about FEBC's gospel work in many countries, including the Philippines, please visit us at firstpersoninterview.com and click on the FEBC banner. My guest today on First Person is Sue Detweiler, and Sue was gracious to invite me to her home to sit down and have this conversation in Franklin, Tennessee. We've talked about your husband. You haven't named your husband yet, though, Sue. My husband, Wayne, we've been married for 30 years in August. Your husband's name is Wayne, like mine is. <laughs> okay, I don't want the listener to be confused That's by that. Right. So I wish you were here today, but say hi uh, when you see him next time. And, I will uh, do that. We'll look forward to meeting him sometime. Uh, you're an author, speaker, radio host. Uh, tell me some of the things you're doing these days, Sue. Well, my husband and I have been in pastoral ministry for as long as we've been married. And on my heart for a long time has been this passion to write and to speak. And so my first book, Nine Traits of a Life-Giving Mom, replacing my worst with God's best, will be in bookstores soon. All right. We'll we'll put information on our website, firstpersoninterview.com, where people can follow up and learn more about you. Sue, we mentioned just briefly that part of your family includes a couple of young boys who are adopted. And I'd like you to tell me that story, if you don't mind. Well, we had four daughters, and they were beautiful daughters, and we'd gotten to a point where it was easy, and God moved on our hearts to open our hearts that He wanted to give us more children, and so we felt drawn to Brazil, and— Any special reason why? Well, yes. When my—my birth story is that my parents were headed as missionaries to Brazil— And so they were ready to go, and my mother became pregnant with me. And when she became pregnant with me, they chose not to go, but she cried out that the child in her womb would fulfill the ministry that she felt called to. And so we were drawn to Brazil. And the other thing that we were had heard about in Brazil is that there had been several cases where the older children that were on the street, the orphans, where the off-duty police officers were hired to actually shoot the children no. and to cleanse. It's, it's something that has happened on numerous occasions in Brazil, and it broke our heart. And God began to break our heart for older children, mm-hmm. because in adoption, most of the time, people want to adopt babies. Mm-hmm. And so we adopted um, two boys. They were 12 and 8 at the time. Brothers? Brothers. And they had been in an orphanage most of their lives, a terribly painful background. And, And they're special needs sons. They have special needs educationally and emotionally. And it has been the hardest thing we've ever done. How old are the boys now? The boys are now 17 and 14. Okay. And it has been... A great challenge, a challenge of bonding, you know, a challenge of learning new habits, a challenge of sharing faith in a in a vibrant way, a, a challenge of meeting that place of that wounding. When when a child has been wounded with post traumatic stress syndrome, or when they have alcohol fetal alcohol syndrome, mm-hmm. where just their their development has been so hindered. And yet, I sense God's love and His choosing. And we have learned more about God through this process of adopting our sons 
then really there would be no other lesson where we could learn it. I'm, I'm seeing a pattern here. God is using the difficult things to teach and to grow. That's not something we like to think about or like to experience, but it's true, isn't it? It's very true. God uses the difficult things to make us more like Him. And we've got a choice. We can either allow it to make us bitter or better. Hmm. And we have seen that it has allowed us to become more and more giving, have a heart for the needy, and a heart to help. So you have a heart for moms. I do. How, how does that manifest itself? What What are you able to do to encourage moms and point them to, to God and His Word? Well, encouraging moms is a one-on-one endeavor. And so each person that is impacted by being a mom, that encouragement through writing, through speaking, through groups, through interaction, um, one mom encourages another mom. Talk about motherhood today. It changes with generations. The pressures get greater, I would imagine. Talk, talk about being a mom. Well, being a mom is something that is a life call. It's something that God gives great purpose. But one of the hard things about being a mom is that you have your own stuff. There are your own hidden habits, your own difficulties that you don't realize you struggle with. So for a mom to have a toddler who stomps her foot and says no, and then the mom all of a sudden realizes she has trouble with anger that she never knew she struggled with. Mm-hmm. And so our worst can come out in our homes. Is it true that moms maybe put aside their own, looking at their own life because they're so busy caring for everybody else? I, I can see where that would be a problem. Yeah, I think we don't always, um, often we're more concerned about the super mom facade. You know, how things look on the outside, making sure that you make it to church and everybody's dressed well, making sure that there's a politeness. But there's the deeper matters of the heart. And for moms, often, I I don't know a mom that doesn't want to be the best mom in the world for her child, but often she feels like the worst. Mm. And there's different seasons where she's vulnerable when the children are young, and then when the children become adults, teenagers. And makes choices contrary to what mom may want for them. That's got to be difficult to deal with. Yes. And realizing that your children have choices. Hmm. One thing that I've realized is that God in heaven, he's the perfect father. And he made a perfect garden. And there was no sin in Adam and Eve. And there they were in a perfect circumstance and still his children chose to sin. So you come alongside moms, and what, I mean, what do they say to you? What are some of the things that they express as needs to you, knowing that you are there yourself and uh, want to help them? Some of the needs that I will hear um, are the overstretched, overstressed mom, hmm. the mom that is working, the mom that um, is having marital issues, the mom that feels like she never does it right, Um, the mom that has regrets that she's lost her temper or she hasn't spent enough time with her child, 
um, the mom that that realizes that she was controlling and manipulative Mm -hmm. and the bitter fruit of that in her child's life. Um, And so for moms to know that, first of all, we're a daughter of God and our relationship with God is primary. And if we're married, then our relationship with our husbands and really our children we hold them in our arms for a short time and then really we release them. Yeah. And for a mom to release her children, that, that umbilical cord, it's, it's hard. And I know I have two daughters getting married. You've been through it, haven't you? <laughs> I do. There's the sweetness of the joy of holding your children in those wonderful moments. And then there's the bittersweetness of letting them go mm. and launching out. Mm-hmm. All right, so you've got, um, as we said at the beginning, several children, two of which are getting married at about the same time. So talk about life at this stage for mom. Well, life at the stage where your children are becoming adults is a wonderful celebration of the choices that they make, that that you celebrate with them, their choices. We love our two son-in-laws that are coming into our family. We're so thrilled with that. But there's also a change that happens between a mother's relationship with her daughters and a father's relationship with his, his daughters, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden for the father, he's handing over leadership to another man. That's a tough transition for many. It's a tough transition. And one thing in terms of how it impacts a marriage, you hear of these empty nest situations where husband and wife look at each other and say, okay, now we have to deal with each other. Yeah, keeping your marriage primary is so important while you're raising children. Mm. Let me talk about you for a moment and the ministry God has given you. Why did you choose to to take on radio and the website and blogging and, and writing uh, and speaking? Um, how did that all come about? Did you ever envision yourself doing that, Sue? Well, I did. I've been in ministry a long, long time, and I've had a sense of impacting a wider span than the local church and a heart for the nations, a heart to reach out, and a heart to write resources that help equip people to have overcoming lives. But God's given you a personality and gifting that no one else has, so I would imagine that that's part of the calling for you, isn't it? Absolutely. It's part of the calling of living out your life in a real, transparent, genuine way, and helping to meet people at their point of need. As you can tell, Sue Detweiler loves to inspire women in their adventure of faith. Her own story, although painful at times, is itself an inspiration as she faithfully serves Christ. If you'd like to know more about Sue's books, her blog, or any other aspect of her ministry, including speaking, just visit us at firstpersoninterview.com. We'll place links there, which you can easily follow to learn more about Sue's life, work, and ministry. That's firstpersoninterview.com. You know, sometimes your schedule just doesn't match up with the radio schedule for this program and you miss some guests you'd really like to hear. Well, we have two solutions for that. One is to go online to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the listen button for the on-demand stream of any program. 
Second, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or through the Stitcher radio app. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.